As a priest, one of the questions that I get frequently asked, often in the confessional, is whether such and such action is a mortal sin. Unfortunately, I have to explain to the person that it's very hard to make a categorical statement that a certain sin is always mortal or always venial. The church teaches that there are three conditions for a sin to be mortal. First, it must constitute grave matter. In other words, it must be a serious violation of the moral law. Second, it requires full knowledge. The person doing the act must understand that it constitutes a grave evil. And third, the person must deliberately consent to doing it. In other words, it must be a free choice. That's the reason why it's so hard to say that particular sins are per se venial or per se mortal, because the second and third conditions are subjective. They depend on factors intrinsic to the person. Now, it's true, of course, that in the ordinary course of things, we can certainly have some rules of thumb. For example, missing mass on Sundays. It's obviously a grave matter, as the church's teaching is quite clear about the importance of our Sunday obligation. Thus, so long as a person is properly catechized well enough to know this, which is the second criteria of mortal sin, we could say, generally, that a choice not to attend Mass would be mortally sinful. The reason being is that it would be, high, would be a highly unusual circumstance that would call into question the third criteria, that the person must deliberately consent to the sin. Yet it could happen in some instances, such as when a person is very ill, or when they have some other truly pressing obligation which conflicts with all available mass times, such as unavoidable work or caring for a sick person. Or perhaps they are in some place, such as a foreign country, where getting to mass is impossible or at least highly impractical. The context of the first reading was the revolt of the Jewish Maccabees against the Greek king Antiochus who controlled Israel in the second century before Christ. Antiochus wished to extinguish the Jewish faith in order to Hellenize Israel. He systematically outlawed Jewish religious practices and rituals and severely persecuted those who resisted. We know, of course, that in the Old Covenant, the consumption of pork was strictly prohibited. That's not the case in the New Covenant because, did I mention, the knights are selling beloved barbecue after Mass. <laughs> I did, good. Remember to get some. There's an irony in there somewhere, I'm sure. So Antiochus put these seven young men and their mother to a test. If you want to live, if you want to stop this inhuman torture, just eat a little of this delicious pork. That's all. But one of the brothers said, we are ready to die rather than to transgress the laws of our ancestors. Now, going back to what I said before about mortal sin, we know that it requires a free choice on the part of the person doing the action. If the person is pressured by the threat of injury or death, that obviously compromises their free will, especially when what they are being asked to do is so, in the grand scheme of things, small. Nobody would say that a person who gave into that kind of torture to eat a little pork was really committing much of a sin, certainly not a mortal sin in any event. The difference between a martyr and some other person who might die a noble death is that the martyr was always given a choice. Their tormentors don't want to actually kill them. What they really want is for their victim to outwardly cooperate or consent with some action that is contrary to the faith. 
they use violence and ultimately the threat of death to obtain that outward consent or cooperation. For example, in the early church, the Romans didn't so much try to outlaw Christianity. Rather, they tried to force Christians to subordinate their faith to the Roman civic religion. One of the things that they required people to do, to do in those days was to burn incense in honor of the Roman gods. And the Romans made it really, really easy for them because the person could simultaneously offer up the incense to their own god so long as they acknowledged the Roman gods as well. But the Christians refused because to honor the Roman gods was to ipso facto to, not, to deny the one true god. That's where we get the phrase, not even a pinch of incense. Because the Christians refused unto death to take even the smallest action that would appear to contradict their faith. Of course, they knew, and everyone knows, that in these cases, that if the person in question had given in and done that thing that they were asked to do under the threat of death, eaten the pork, offered up the pinch of incest, spit on an image of Christ or a saint, that no one would say that they deliberately sinned in a significant way. Certainly no one would say that they committed immortal sin. Because the theology of sin takes into account, as I said before, whether a person makes a genuinely free choice to commit an action. When a person's capacity for free choice is severely pressured by bodily fear or other things such as psychological disturbances or addiction or immaturity, their moral responsibility is correspondingly diminished. Martyrs are not remembered because they chose to die rather than commit a really bad sin. Rather, they are remembered because they chose to die rather than to act in a way that would even appear to outwardly contradict the faith. Even if everyone would have known and agreed that what they did was the product of severe coercion and thus wasn't very sinful, if at all. Martyrs refused to offer even in the most min minimal outward or mechanistic cooperation with sacrilege. The martyrs recognized two things. One, the Christian life is about more than merely avoiding sin. It's about becoming one with Christ. That starts with repenting of sin, of course, but it doesn't end there. To be truly holy means to be living for God's kingdom. It means being willing to sacrifice this life rather than doing even the smallest thing that would be in some way incompatible with the Beatitudes, regardless of whether it would be properly classed as a sin, even a mild venial sin. Two, martyrs recognize that purity of heart is the key to the kingdom of God. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Ironically, the people throughout history who offered Christians the choice between death and the offering of a pinch of incest implicitly understood this. They knew that the most powerful tool that a tormentor or a persecutor or a bully wields is not physical force. It's not the power to physically hurt the other person. It's the power to make them agree to do something that they don't want to do, even if it's just the smallest little thing. Because then they are truly in control. When they control your conscience, even in the tiniest bit, then they have you. That's why, for example, in the Vietnam War, the communists would put out videos of our captured soldiers confessing to war crimes or denouncing the American war effort. We knew those statements were coerced by torture and pressure, and the communists knew that we knew. But they knew the demoralizing value of Americans watching one of our own saying things that they didn't really believe, seeing him speak against what we knew to be his own conscience 
knowing that his spirit had been broken. That's why so many POWs bravely resisted for so long, not because to have given in would have been morally culpable, but because they knew that giving in and making a canned confession would have been a kind of spiritual defeat. In the gospel reading, Jesus is doing more than answering a a particular conundrum that the Sadducees cooked up in order to hamstring him. He's showing them and us that the kingdom of heaven is greater than our earthly conceptions and categories. Marriage and family, as wonderful as those things are here on earth, are not part of the resurrected life. We can't understand exactly how that will be. Even Jesus doesn't try to tell us except to say that we will be like angels. We can't understand how a man and woman who enjoy married love in this life will not have that bond in the next life, but they will be yet somehow in a new and more perfect bond of charity with all the just. By our earthly sensibility, it just doesn't make sense. Just as martyrdom doesn't truly make sense unless one truly understands the inner dimensions of the Christian life. To the casual observer, the Christian who goes to his death rather than offering up a pinch of incense to the Roman gods seems like a fool or a fanatic, because such passerby is only looking to this life, unaware of God's kingdom. Glories of his kingdom will only be revealed to those who have truly a purity of heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.